Ulterior. We're almost there. Almost at the end game of not only this series, but also this year in Ulterior. And it's crazy, man. Three seasons of this shit. Almost finished. Um, we gotta get there, you know? Finish the story, all that sort of shit. So this is part four of the series for my 50 top records of 2023. Part one covered records 50 to 41. Part two covered records 40 to 31. Part three covered records 30 to 21. And then now today, part four, I'm looking at records 20 to 11. We're in top 20 range now. Um, if you have not listened to any of the prior episodes, you know, I would encourage you guys and suggest to go back and listen to those. If you're starting with this one and you want to move forward that way in top 20, it's totally fine. You have free reign. Do what you want to do, big dog. Thank you so much. Thank you for tapping in. And I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Number 20 is Blossom by Pupil Slicer. This album would not leave me alone from the second that I first got through it back in June, and I say that in a loving way because I never wanted this album to depart my mind. I feel like what Blossom did was give me my first real glimpse at People Slicer because I wasn't tapped into them for their 2021 album, Mirrors, back when that dropped. So Blossom was my first real chance to kind of try to get to know People Slicer and try to understand, you know, what it is that they're trying to convey with their music. And what I, so I want to bring this up real quickly um, because this actually did a lot to, you know, kind of help me become more attached to the band and understand what their influences are and their drive is. There is an article that uh, they did with Kerrang! And you get a pretty extensive glimpse into who they are. And in that interview, uh, Kate, who is the vocalist, they stated that they got into heavy music by being shown Jane Doe by Converge. And having that understanding, I listened to Blossom and I'm like, yeah, I can totally see where there is an influence from Converge. But I feel like there are influences spread throughout the entire timeline of the scene. Like other than Converge, there's a lot of the Dillinger Escape Plan thrown into here. And in that same vein, there's a lot of Sea Space Cowboy that I can identify with the way that this record sounds and the kind of calamity that it really calls for. And since I brought up Sea Space Cowboy, there is another section in that Kerrang! interview where Kate said that seeing Connie was kind of a moment where they realized that the scene could be for everybody and, you know, there was value, per se, in being a band with an openly trans person at the front of it. And I feel like that's just like a really, you know, sick way of 
kind of expressing the inclusion that the scene has brought forth to a lot of people. And, you know, we need the scene to continue to be that. We need it to be a place where people can continue to openly be themselves and not feel targeted for the person that they are. And if you guys want to know more about the band from a personal standpoint, I definitely suggest checking out that Kerrang! piece. It's really, really well done. Um, But to get into the actual music here from Blossom... It starts off in a very spine-chilling manner. I feel like the build-up in the opening, or the intro song, rather, Glaring Dark of Night, it's just like, you hear it and you understand, like, when this song ends and it goes into momentary actuality, shit's probably gonna hit the fan. This is probably gonna get really fucking heavy, really blistering, and that's exactly what happens. Momentary actuality opens with a fucking blast beat, and just Kate screaming their fucking heart out, and these elements really allow People Slicer to stand out when they exist in a realm of the scene that, you know, could be oversaturated at times, but People Slicer do more than enough to really make sure that they are at the front of that conversation. And just aside from the really effective heavy factor to the album, you also have these tracks that have hints of shoegaze, and those are the real portions of the record that I believe allowed People Slicer to kind of show off a lot of range and versatility and show people that they're not just a heavy band, they can really command any kind of a sound they want to at any given time. Uh, Songs like Creating the Devil in Our Image, The Song at Creation's End, and Dim Morning Light do a a really wonderful job at kind of showing off those uh, sides of the band. And then you get a song like Language of the Stars, which is a three-minute piano interlude type of thing that is just so beautiful and haunting all at the same time. And I think beautiful and haunting is kind of a good way to really describe Blossom. And, you know, at least from my standpoint, like those are the two emotions that I was able to just perfectly pull out of the record. And that's what kept me going back to it continuously for the last six months. I think Blossom is an outstanding album and Pupil Slicer is a band who I want to continue to see them out there. I want them to continue to do big things and I want people to be receptive of this band because there is a world's worth of promise and potential on their end. Number 19 is Evergreen by Paris. I look at the discography of Paris and I don't think it's hyperbolic at all in my own opinion and my own perception of their music to say that I truly believe they are one of the all-time greats that the scene has ever had. I don't believe they've ever missed on any release of theirs, White Noise, All You Know of Heaven, Hallucinations, Use Me, all of these releases just impacted me and did something to me in their respective years to make me believe that they were consistently some of the best releases out of those given years. And the same thing happened now with Evergreen. And Evergreen is one of the biggest departures that Paris could have taken for their sound because there's not like too many connected threads from Evergreen to, you know, White Noise or All We Know of Heaven. Um, and I am not mad at that at all because I really do believe that the sound Paris foundationed Evergreen in is foundation to word. We'll say it is. The sound that uh, Paris foundationed Evergreen in, it is still 
very true to their identity and their nature. Um, you know, Lynn is still at any moment that she wants to be one of the best vocalists in the world. And I feel like the added pop flair and sensibility to Evergreen allowed her to kind of show that off a little bit more than she was able to on the prior releases of Paris. I look at songs like Good Enemy and Take My Nirvana and just the, the melody that she carries, the rhythm that her voice has, these like high notes are able to just soar into the air and be like some of the most important moments on this record. And she is continuously a, a star in everything that she does. And everybody in Paris, you know, they've been able to kind of prove their star power in that sense. Um, there's a song on here called Anywhere But Here that is a lot slower than the, you know, usual pop pace that Evergreen kind of laid itself in. And I feel like this is one of those tracks where everybody in Paris just shines. And even if the instrumentation is minimalistic and Lynn's voice is not as high powered as it is on other songs here, it's still this really important moment to the record and i think anywhere but here just stands tall as one of the best songs on evergreen i did get to see paris live on the cycle for this record it was the co-headliner tour with, with a poppy back in september and you could just tell like the amount of fun that everybody in the band had playing these songs the real drive and ambition that they had to make these songs work and make them stick and i was not really surprised, but still like in some ways taken aback by how many people in the audience knew every line to these songs, how they were being sung back to Lynn the exact way that a band would want a new album to be able to uh, be received by fans. Like it was a really, really good time. And then they close on Goddess and Goddess is my favorite song on this album. And it was just one of the biggest like party feelings I've ever experienced at a show. Just everybody singing every word back to Lynn. Lynn herself having a fucking blast being on stage singing that song. Paris really wanted to make Evergreen work. And just from my own experience and what I've been able to see for myself, I really do believe that they achieved everything they set out to do in that realm and they succeeded just effortlessly. Number 18 is Super Bloom by Silent Planet. When I reviewed this record a little over a month ago at this point, I believe that I said something about Superbloom potentially being my favorite record of Silent Planet since The Night God Slept, which was their debut. And having been able to spend more time with this record, I would say that I still do prefer The Night God Slept, but Superbloom was a step that I am very, very appreciative of Silent Planet taking. And there was not really a necessity for them to kind of change up the formula a bit. I feel like what they had been building off of where when the end began and Ear Descent, like that was still a, a really crisp and quality sound that I would not have minded Super Bloom being grounded in whatsoever. And the shift was very noticeable back when Antimatter released. And I've said the name Antimatter so many times last few months and I would imagine that in the future on this show, whenever there are opportunities and openings for me to mention Antimatter again and gas up this song to the fucking depths of the earth, I'll still continue to do so. Because Antimatter is 
my favorite Silent Planet song of all time. It's probably just one of my favorite songs of all time from any band in general, if I really think about it. Antimatter just really set the record on this course for greatness. And I know it wasn't the first single that would have been Signal. And Signal was a song that at the time of its release last July, I was still very high on. And it did enough to just really propel me to the point of pure excitement and anticipatory nature for uh, Superbloom when it eventually released. There are so many levels to the talent and abilities of Garrett Russell that are really prominent on this album. Aside from him just being, you know, as elite of a screamer as he's always been, on a song like Collider, the melody that he's able to hold in the chorus is really, really fucking outstanding. And, you know, he has plenty more moments on the record like that one on songs like Euphoria and Superbloom, the closing track. Uh, the title track is... One of the best songs the Silent Planet have ever written. I, I feel like this was just a really like necessary and appropriate storybook ending of sorts to the record. And all throughout the album, you consistently have like these hints of a an, an event that really inspired the album. And you know, Antimatter also it's a single, and that was a accident that the band had one year exactly before the release of Super Bloom. And I would imagine and hope that. The writing process for Super Bloom was very cathartic in terms of like an emotional release for the band members. And, you know, if it brought them closure for that part of their life, then that's another big ass W for the record. And just overall, getting to hear Silent Planet in this form this year is one of the coolest things that I got to listen to all year as a fan of scene music. And, you know, all of the all the love in the world to Silent Planet. These guys fucking rock. And Super Bloom is generally in the highest echelon possible for the discography. Also, Garrett, I'm sorry. I don't have a certificate for you. Number 17 is Family Drama by Rory. She didn't have to show up to that wedding with a smile. Or show her father's lies. Just go walking down the aisle. She was in hate. Family Drama is one of the most vulnerable releases of the year, and maybe at large one of the most vulnerable that I've ever heard in my life. And when I say vulnerable, what I'm getting at is the level of openness that Rory had when putting together this EP and just really pouring her heart and soul into these tracks in a way that she really didn't need to like nobody was owed anything when it comes to the very personal themes that were explored on this EP but I do believe that because of Rory's vulnerability and the placement that she put herself in for the sake of the EP it made for a masterpiece of a, a record and something that even though it's only like a little over two months old at this point it has stuck with me in a similar way to records that I've been able to spend years with. And I feel like that's a real testament to just how fucking excellent this EP really is. You open with an introduction, Love Over Blood, which is a very um, like heartfelt message to start the record off with. You have these different accounts from different people about what family means to them and what family is supposed to be conceptually. And the acoustic guitar that backs that rhythm, it leads right into Running DNA. And Running DNA is another, you know, primarily acoustic track that Rory is just kind of able to set as 
the mission statement in a way for the EP and what it's meant to accomplish. And then sonically, the EP kind of goes through, uh, you know, different realms in the alternative scene. You have a track like Family Tree that kind of starts to dip its toes into alt rock. And I feel like by the time you reach Black Hearse, that is where that type of sound and that style really blossoms into something special and memorable. Black Curse is one of the best songs I got to hear all year long and just very like gutting in terms of its thematic approach to just talking about, you know, not just family, but then also how one feels about themselves in this predicament. And like the, the main hook of Black Curse being, oh, I'm only getting married if I'm leaving in a Black Curse, that is going to stick with me in my brain for a very, very long time. Alternative is another song that just paints this very like dark and dire and depressing image of what Rory ha had to deal with growing up. Like I look at some of the lines that are attached to Alternative and for somebody to be able to put pen to paper with these kinds of lyrics, that's a, a special gift and, and a talent that, you know, should not go unnoticed at all. She's having dinner with her family on Friday night. They're talking about TV shows and they never really fight. I hope she never has to feel empty. I hope she never has to meet this version of me. She didn't have to become somebody that she hates and cheat on everyone, realize she's the same. Yeah, the same as her father, made for a one-bedroom apartment. You can't manufacture that. You can't fabricate it. That is real. That is from the heart. And that is a big part of what makes family drama one of the best EPs of not only this year, but probably the last 10 years, and then maybe in totality, the history of the scene for my money. Number 16 is Hard Reset by The Word Alive. I've always rooted for The Word Alive. I've always wanted them to succeed. I have always wanted to love them. I have always wanted to be somebody in the camp of The Word Alive telling people such as you guys that this is one of the best bands in the world. And that's because of the connection I've been able to have to them since hearing the Empire EP back in late 2009. Like I've, I've been through so much with this band, like kind of just to like, you know, put that out there. Um, in, in some ways, and this sounds kind of weird, but like I have seen them grow up and in turn, they have also seen me grow up or at least their music has, but I don't always feel like the output is there. I don't necessarily believe the quality is there on every single release of theirs. You know, I could go on a deep dive about the discography of The Word Alive and say like, you know, these two records didn't really do anything for me. These two did, these two didn't. And just really go on a cycle and a tangential rant about The Word Alive and the inconsistency that I believe they've always had within their discography. We've kind of seen shifts recently though. And what I mean by that is, uh, 2020's Monomania at that point was the most concise record to The Word Alive and maybe even the best in a lot of ways. And then now this year on Hard Reset, I believe this is peak The Word Alive. This is The Word Alive operating at the highest level they ever have. And there are so many different reasons why Hard Reset works as well as it does, in my opinion. The easiest thing I can turn to about that formula for Hard Reset 
is the features because you have a couple of features here and each one feels so different from the other and they feel very familiar to the vocalist who is, you know, in the booth with Telly. Um, one of us, which features Noah from The Word Alive, Hate Me featuring Julian from Loveless, Fade Away featuring Craig from Escape the Fate, A New Empty featuring Philip from Normandy, and then War With You featuring Matt from From First to Last. And you can legitimately hear all of those projects in those songs. A New Empty feels like it could have been a Normandy song in some ways. Hate Me feels very loveless. One of Us is as close to Bad Omens as we got this year, and you know, so on and so forth, and I feel like what that shows me is that these feature spots were not, you know, just necessarily uh, Telly reaching out to somebody and be like, hey, get on this verse. You know, we have the the structure written out for you. We have all that going for you already. It feels like this was a real collaborative effort between these guest feature spots and the World Live themselves. And that is the most effective way to go about having guest feature spots on a record. And it's one of the biggest reasons why a hard reset has been able to stick with me the way that it has ever since August. And then speaking, you know, away from that particular topic, the rest of the record just has all of those Word Alive elements that I believe has been able to make their best songs stand out in a really big way. The opening track, The Word Alive is Dead, has a really like ominous feel to it, and it feels like the kind of song that was written specifically with that artwork in mind, because the, the artwork and that song share this common ground, because they both feel and look and sound very, like, you know, dystopian in their nature. And I think The Word Alive is Dead just sets the stage so well, and it crafts the rest of Hard Reset in a really effective way. Songs like Strange Love and Invisible Army, they still carry all of the punch in the world that The Word Alive have been able to put into their choruses time and time again. And, you know, even if every The Word Alive album is not necessarily for me, every album has at least a couple of songs where choruses are the strong suit of the band, and I don't think that is any different on Hard Reset. There is so much about this album that I feel like it's what The Word Alive have been building up to for their entire careers. I do believe this is the most consistent record to their names. The, every song on here has a reason to be here. There's no filler at all. Every track works. Every track makes Hard Reset the entity that it is, the unit that it is, and the kind of album that I imagine myself visiting over and over again for the next couple of years, at the very least. Number 15 is Moments Elsewhere by Johnny Booth. In my own eyes, I think there is a case for Johnny Booth to be one of the best bands of this year. And that's kind of to a personal account because of how I viewed this band before 2023. And I say that to say that I've always believed that they are a solid band, you know, nothing super like out of this world or extraordinary but nothing that I would scoff out either. Like whenever there was a new Johnny Booth release, I would listen to it because I had faith in the band. I believe that there was potential there for them to one day, you know, become this elite act. And 
and Elite Act is what I really do strongly believe they have cemented themselves as now, coming off of moments elsewhere. And the build-up to this record through singles like Collapse in the Key of Fireworks, Full Tilt, and The Ladder just made it so easy for me to imagine a world where I am viewing Johnny Booth as one of the best bands out there. These songs, you know, those three singles, that run this year, it just kind of... Like, it showed me that everything I wanted to believe Johnny Booth could be one day, that's exactly what they did, especially on Full Tilt. I have talked about Full Tilt a couple times throughout the year, and I believe at one point back when I was reviewing Moments Elsewhere, I said that at that particular moment in time, I did not know if there was a song in existence that I enjoyed listening to more in that particular time than Full Tilt. And so many times I go back to that track, I still feel that way. I'm still so invigorated by that phonetic code sounding intro and just how explosive and chaotic this song becomes. And the rest of the album really has a lot of ties to that style and that sound. And all of that is made so apparent right from the opening song 2040 and just the the calamity that that song encapsulates itself with the way that Andrew is able to get across these screams. And from there you go into the three singles I mentioned already and just, you know, the energy is there and the intensity is as present as has ever been on any record when it comes to what moments elsewhere achieves up to that point. And then you get to The Mirror and The Mirror is an interlude song that sounds like elevator music. And you know what? It's the best elevator music song I've ever heard in my life. Genuinely fucking outstanding. Um, so many other twists and turns for the record after that. Why Becomes How reminds me a lot of Two-Way Mirror by Loathe. Bright Future has this like cadence to it that it feels like My Chemical Romance meets Metalcore. And even if that sounds like a bad way to describe this song, it's just what stuck out to me. And it kind of still is even to this day. Moments elsewhere, I don't get tired at all of hearing this record, and for Johnny Booth to be able to do that for myself this year, that's very rewarding, like I just said, as somebody who has always seen potential and hope and promise in this band, and they did not just, you know, exceed expectations this year, they shattered the fucking glass ceiling, and it's now left in a million pieces that other bands are going to have to pick up and try and figure out the formula that Johnny Booth used to make Moments Elsewhere one of the best albums of 2023. Number 14 is With Thorns of Glass and Petals of Grief by Balmura. Brother, this is hardcore. This is fucking hardcore. This is what I think of whenever the genre comes to mind. Anything hardcore related that I talk about on the show, this is exactly what I would like for it to sound like. Just very raw and DIY sounding in its production. Shit sounds like it was mixed and mastered on a toaster, and it is one of the best EPs of the entire year. One of the best records at large that I got to talk about all year long, and the qualities of With Thorns of Glass and Petals of Grief just made it to where this record was able to to stick with me so heavily and effectively back from April all the way until now. And in that eight-month stretch, I have listened to this EP every single week. 
because it's just so easy to get through. 20 minutes of some of the most blistering and energetic hardcore that you could imagine. And it has one of the coolest like trajectories of any record I got to hear all year long because you start off with From Creaking Branches, Dead Leaves Release, which is a one minute piano ballad. And then you go right into three songs after that, Under the Weight of a Blackened Sky, July Unending, and An Angel's Final Prayer of these songs just battering you in the face, just crowd killing you at any given moment. And I feel like that is the kind of, you know, aggression that this EP really called for to make it work as well as it did. And then you close out on a dagger to the heart of finality. Seven minutes and 19 seconds. You guys know, sometimes I don't really be fucking with long songs, but a dagger to the heart, this track fucks, bro. This is insane. This is, uh, again, everything that I ask for hardcore to be. It is malevolent. It is epic. It is ass kicking. It is fucking like spine shaking earth shattering and then by the time you finish that song it returns back to that piano ballad like nature from the opening song and it's just like this real full circle moment and it's things like that elements such as you know that specific composition structure that made it so easy for me to consistently want to go back and hear this ep and i don't know how many of you guys actually went out and heard it but whatever the number was it wasn't enough balmura deserves those streams they fucking earn that recognition off the cp this year number 13 is daydreamer by dead lakes So as I am doing this uh, entry, recording this part of the episode, I'm looking out my window. It's raining right now in San Antonio, and I can just see cars driving by the parking lot area outside the apartment. And that's that's probably how I was meant to talk about this record, that specific kind of a setting. This is what Daydreamer called for. And Daydreamer is a record that it just has the vibes man you can't argue against that it is one of the most relaxing records of the year and i say relaxing while acknowledging that a lot of these songs have some real fucking energy and bounce and rhythm to them these are some of the best rock songs of the entire year and i am just so happy that Dead Lakes managed to put out this kind of an album to follow up the New Language EP from 2020. And after that EP, you know, yeah, the pandemic was still going on, but the inactivity from Dead Lakes as far as releasing new music, that was something that I was like kind of, you know, paying attention to because I wanted new music from Dead Lakes. I wanted them to keep the momentum going. I wanted them to show myself and anybody else out there that they still had that aura and they still had it and they fucking delivered on daydreamer the opening intro song it's so like like put the keys in the ignition of your car and just start driving in the middle of nowhere laid out at night that's the vibe that it creates that's the atmosphere that daydreamer the intro opening song brings and then from there going into strange juice tongue planet wrong way 
Some of the best courses of the entire year exist on this record. It's so hard to not just feel like singing these songs aloud because that is the feeling that it, it commands. That's the attention that you have to pay to Daydreamer because there's no way to deny this record that kind of acclaim in so many ways. Um, Stamina, I mentioned last year in 100 Top Songs, it, it was like number 26, I think, and that song had been out for a couple days, and I knew it was out of pocket as fuck to put the song that high, but hearing it again as part of Daydreamer, I felt validated and vindicated in putting Stamina where I did because it still packs the fucking punch, man. It is still that fucking monstrous of a track, and I still enjoy hearing it every single time I work my way through Daydreamer. The combination of Believer and Hold Back is one of the best interlude and then full song combos of the entire year. I could talk for fucking hours on end about Hold Back and what that song means to me. And overall, Daydreamer is an album that I can just talk about for days on end, endlessly. If you ever ask me, hey, what do you think of Daydreamer by Deadlakes? You're going to get a fucking essay, bro, whether it is in text format or me talking your ears off. Because Daydreamer is a record that I was waiting years and years for, and it lived up to every bit of expectation I had, and then it exceeded so many of said expectations at the same time. Daydreamer is the exact record that I wanted out of Deadlakes, and I am just so happy with the quality of this record. So I said this in 100 Top Songs, and I'm saying it now in 50 Top Records. We are in top 12. The territory that SOTS would do their awards in, and, you know, that is the blueprint for everything that I do. And so I really just want to take that time to, you know, salute those who pave the way. Because you all are the reason why I can even do this. Number 12 is Fatalism by Polaris. Leaving this out of top 10 sucked. It, it really did because Polaris, I feel like the efforts and the output are always there for them. The Mortal Coil and The Death of Me, those two records belong on any list for 2017 and 2020 respectively. Just the way that those records really established Polaris, it was something that, you know, it never went unnoticed by anybody. The fan base has been there for this band. They have always supported them and championed them because they have always believed in the efforts of Polaris. And going into Fatalism, there was a lot of excitement, a lot of anticipation, 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 what the fuck am I saying? Anticipation for this record. Because what I just said, like the, the goodwill and the good faith that this band had built up for themselves, it was very special. And the connection that Polaris has to their fan base is remarkable. And we had Inhumane as the lead single. And Inhumane is one of the best lead singles of the entire year, in my opinion. And just the aggression and the amplification of every idea and concept that Polaris have ever explored. That song is just a fucking ass beater, man. And it worked so well to help set the stage for fatalism. 
And, and then a little bit after that, we had to find out the news that Ryan Sue had unfortunately passed away. Ryan was the guitarist for Polaris. And I think what happened with Ryan, it did put like a microscope in a way on this record and the guitar work on it. And you can hear every bit of Ryan all throughout this record. You can hear all of the intricacies of his playing style, the riffs, like the character, just everything that Ryan put into his craft. It is spread all throughout Fatalism. And that makes this his swan song in a way. You know, this was his final gift to all of us. This is the final thing that he did with his talent that had no ends, no boundaries whatsoever. Ryan was one of the best guitarists that the scene has ever had, and that's going to live on forever, you know, and fatalism is going to help keep his memory alive. I really enjoy the structure of fatalism and how you get songs that, you know, really show off the range and abilities on Jamie's part. And then also Jake as a clean vocalist, Jake has a, a big hand in helping uplift fatalism the way that it's upheld. Harbinger as the opening song it is as effective as it is, I think largely in part to the way that Jake is just able to hold out these really beautiful melodies with his voice and just help support the emotional nature of Harbinger, um, Nightmare, and With Regards. These are songs that he comes in as a master at his craft at. And I think if it wasn't evident to you before this record, then after this record, you will understand that Jamie and Jake make one of the best one-two punches of a duo you could have right now in scene music. The courses on tracks like The Crossfire and Dissipate are some of the best moments in the entire history of this band, in my opinion. And then All in Vain, which is the closing song, the implementation of like this electronic flair to that track's production, it really did a lot to help make that the best exclamation mark that this record could have ended on, you know, possible. And Fatalism, it's an album that I feel like I'm still, you know, growing to love and appreciate because there's just so much happening here and I'm noticing something new about its um, you know, composition and structure with every listen, whether it's something on a production end or instrumentation, or just something that I notice Jamie and or Jake do with their voices. Fatalism just has so many layers to it that I'm going to be spending probably years navigating through. And I am very excited and hopeful for the future of the band. Um, you know, they, they've earned the world at this point and I want them to continue to chase that and, achieve whatever it is that they want to achieve and do what they need to do to, you know, help keep Ryan's memory alive and just keep the goodwill that they have established with the fan base. And I have no doubt whatsoever that this connection and this real bond between themselves and the fans will continue to prosper. Number 11 is Valkyrie 1 by Set to Stun. Eight years. Eight years I spent waiting patiently for this record. 
patiently for the follow-up to Set to Stun's previous album, which was Set to Stun and The Desperado Undead from 2015. And it was a, it was a very trying waiting period. I, I can't cap. Um, and I wanted this record so badly because to me, Set to Stun embodies a style of metalcore and scene music altogether that is so hard and rare to come by because they're a band who they can just be whatever they want to be and take as many chances that they want to and everything works in my opinion at least um there is like no structure whatsoever to anything happening here um i, I don't know if sets of stun ever learn how you're quote unquote supposed to write music i don't know if they give a fuck about that stuff and my belief is that they don't and they are an infinitely better band for that reason the the sector of this band that you know rejects uh traditions and modern styles of music i i think that is the real calling to set to stun and that is what makes valkyrie one this just incredible body of music that made that eight-year waiting period more than worth it. And I say eight-year waiting period, but really, the lead single for this record came out in 2018, and it was Walk Tall 2, which is the second track on this record. Walk Tall 2 is one of the best songs I've ever heard in my life, and I really wanted this album to kind of use Walk Tall 2 as its foundation, and I really do believe that's what ended up happening. You have the opening song for Death of a Dreamcatcher, which shares a lot of common ground with that song, and then from there, there are more tracks that really dive into that apoplectic, chaotic style of Set to Stun, like Enter Lust or The Holy Mountain, and every song that is present here, it just makes it to where, like, I listen to Set to Stun, and I'm like, man, why do I fuck with this? Because there's so much about this record that should be, like, I should innately dislike it. Because a lot of these tracks are long as fuck, man. Uh, Death of a Dreamcatcher, 718. Staria 3, 905. Um, Enter Lust, 513. 513 is still pushing it, even for myself. But these songs are just undeniable. And I feel like... It's a real gift for Sets of Stun to be able to have that kind of this instillment in crafting chaotic songs to where everything is still catchy, everything still has rhythmic sensibility. It's still a flawless album that I catch myself singing along to so many times, even if, again, there aren't really any defined choruses per se. One minute the record can make you feel like, you know, thrashing and banging your head the next minute you might be kind of dancing along to it you might be singing along this record is going to evoke whatever emotion it wants to out of you and you're going to be a puppet to set to stun in that regard i love this album so much because uh, again it takes chances it is daring it has no formula it has no structure it has no reason to be here nothing about this record should work but it does and I'm probably going to wait eight more years for the next Set to Sun record. Maybe 18. Who the fuck knows? But you know what? I will be there no matter what. And that's it. For now, of course. 
Those were records 2211. Part 4 is now complete, which means there's only one part left. The finale to not just this series, but this season of Ulterior Altogether. The top 10 records of 2023. If you have made it through parts 1, 2, 3, and 4 by this point, you might be able to do like the process of elimination and kind of know a little bit about what the direction for this finale is going to go into. And, you know, whether you believe you know the top five or the top 10 or whatever it might be, I, I'm excited for this. And I hope you guys join me in this final part and being able to express to all of you guys why these are my 10 favorite albums of all time and at large, some of the best albums I've ever heard. Thank you for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And as always, for the love of the game, let's make a scene. <laughs> <laughs>